Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. Here's some Canadian real estate news while you enjoy your morning coffee. I wanted to continue on the topic about how real estate is truly about people and not just buildings. This isn't so much a news article as it is a human interest piece, but there are a few points that I'll highlight after that just seem important to me that I think might get overlooked sometimes when um, we as investors talk about real estate. This is from CBC News. A belated welcome. Marple's modular housing experiment. On a clear day, Charlie Smith can see Mount Baker from the window of his third-floor bachelor suite in South Vancouver. It's a million-dollar view, said Smith, 59. My sister lives in Washington State, and every morning I wave in that direction. It's like I'm waving to her. Smith says his homelessness was a result of his own doing and his former drug addiction. He used to live in shelters and on the streets of Vancouver until last year when he moved into one of the 77 units of a temporary modular housing development in the South Vancouver neighborhood of Marple. The development consists of a pair of three-story buildings which sit on the corner of West 59th Avenue and Heather Street and are scheduled to stay there for five years until the land's owner, Oni Group, takes over its property. Temporary temporary modular housing, where otherwise empty developers' lots are stacked with homes during a housing crisis, is a key component of this city of Vancouver's homelessness strategy. The Marpole Complex is one of 10 temporary modular housing projects so far, and the first outside the downtown east side. It opened last year with protests opposing the housing units, and even an attempt by a community group to sue the city of Vancouver for lack of consultation. But now, as the new arrivals like Smith become neighbors, opinions have shifted. Within the first week of moving in, Smith's first purchase for his new home was a plant. It just lightens up the home, and it's kind of like having a child again watching it grow. I enjoy that, said Smith, who has a grown daughter. Having a home has allowed Smith to gain a sense of belonging, and he's even picked up some paid part-time work as he's settled into the self-contained unit he's rent, uh, he rents for $375 per month. He's made friends with his neighbors, and they often hang out in the yard, playing golf or cooking together. It has been more enjoyable to have a solid home, my own bathroom. It's not infested with bugs or creatures like you have in the downtown east side, said Smith. Bernie Pauly, a scientist with the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research at the University of Victoria, says stable housing helps marginalized people feel a sense of ownership of their lives. When you get a place you gain a sense of stability, which allows for a place to actually heal, she said. 
It made me a better person, more relaxed, physically better. I sleep better, have balanced nutrition, said Smith, who was homeless for the better part of a decade. Smith recalls the community protests on the news, watching dozens of people gather hold, holding watching dozens of people gather holding signs opposing housing for residents like himself. He says it made him feel like a second-class citizen, but now he feels the community has accepted him and the other modular residents. At first, I wasn't sure what to expect, but now they've donated furniture. Sometimes they stop to say hello. It's been very encouraging, he said. The biggest point of contention for residents was the housing project's proximity to three schools, one which sits directly across the street from the modular homes. Albert Lung has lived in the neighborhood for 18 years and is vice president of the Marple Oak Ridge Community Association. The 73-year-old says part of the backlash toward the project was due to the suddenness of its announcement. There was a lack of transparency by the former municipal government, and at some point people felt something was being taken away from them, Lung said, adding that fear of the unknown played a big part in the protests. That fear, says Polly, is steeped in stereotypes that aren't accurate. They are based on myth and misconception. More than a year later, Lung says his feelings have shifted. As far as the residents, they are just like neighbors. We never had frustrations with them, but says suggestions to the city to move the modular housing away from the schools weren't heard. Still, apprehension remains strong among Marple residents. There are complaints of an increased police presence since the modular housing went in something the Vancouver Police Department says is not true. And some neighbors say they've noticed needles on the ground where they didn't see them before. Indeed, the city of Vancouver says they received six discarded needle pickup requests in the Marpole area between March 2018 and September 2019. There were zero calls between 2016 to 2018. While the community remains apprehensive, Lung believes if they, modular residents, integrate, they will protect their community like we do because ownership will lead to responsibility. Lung has gone so far as to drop off fitness passes to the community center for his new neighbors. And that's exactly what it's all about, says Polly. If people have the ability to interact and get to know each other, then there is a sense of contribution. When Lung and Smith met recently for the first time, the two shook hands and spoke of the weather as neighbors do. What's Lung's message now to the modular housing residents? It may be belated, but let me officially say welcome, said the community leader. And to his new neighbors, Smith's reply, thank you, I'm grateful. So the two biggest things, first of all, I really enjoy this solution. I think there's a huge space for modular housing, uh, a huge need for it to fill. I think this is a very good example of that. 
I think there are ways that this can be used in almost every city. Ten, there are 10 temporary modular housing projects that have gone up in Vancouver, and I'd love to see this kind of thing happen in Toronto, or in Hamilton, in Toronto as well. But I think this is really cool of the Oni group to let happen. I'm sure they're getting paid for it. It's not for free. But I would be surprised if they're getting paid much. In any case, it's a good bit of little little bit of publicity for them. But it's just forward thinking. Second of all, I think the ownership piece is a big deal. When we feel like we ha I don't know that I have to talk about the effects of ownership on the psyche and on you know, responsibility. I think that's fairly well documented. And when a space is your own and you're responsible for it, how much more you'll take care of it. And that doesn't always translate. But I think the more you can give a sense of ownership. And I think the point that this article is also making is that ownership isn't just about the building and the space. It's actually a community sense as well. Like if you feel like you belong to the community, there, there's, there's then a sense of ownership in the community. I think that's even more powerful. Like when there's acceptance within a community, like you can be paying for a unit and not care, not have any sense of ownership. But if you are a part of the community, and then you and you feel like you belong to that community and you're welcome there, then ownership sinks in. I think that's what this is highlighting. Like, so there's the space, there's what they're paying, which is ridiculously low, and I have one final concern about that afterwards. But this is important. Then there's the community buy-in, and as they talk about integration as the community welcomes these residents and as the residents participate as members of the community, they will take ownership of the community, which includes their own spaces. And you just have a healthier, you know, those, the needles, that's just going to come, that's, that comes with the territory. That can be shocking for some communities if they don't see it before, especially if they don't see it before. But maybe residents start to kind of take responsibility of that. If they're the users or if they're just, if they're like monitoring for that or whatever, you know. I don't know. It's just there when you feel like you belong that's a stronger sense of ownership and gives you a stronger sense of responsibility than simply just paying for something. My only concern with this, this is a five-year temporary situation. What's going to happen to Charlie Smith after those five years? I mean, he's paying three seventy-five a month. In Vancouver, that is insanely low. What? You know, I'd love to hear what programs they have to 
transition the people out of these communities into something a little bit more sustainable. And herein lies the debate. Are we just setting these people up for failure down the road? Honestly, I don't think it matters. I think getting someone off the streets for five years and giving them a sense of belonging and stability for five years is way better than not giving them anything. And in fact, gives them a running start at finding some sustained, um, sustained, uh, it just gives them a chance to get out um, and get set up on their own. But we are creatures of habit, and especially if we get comfortable, we don't want to move. What happens five years down the road when these residents have gotten comfort, comfort, comfortable in their surroundings? And I hate to say it, but it, I feel like in this case you'd almost have to keep reminding these residents that they aren't going to stay here. And that totally defeats the purpose of belonging. <laughs> So it's a tough one. On one leg, they're getting a they're getting a break, and they're being given a, a chance, a space to get a running start at something. And but a, that that same running start, that same chance, also fights against the sense of belonging. I th I think it could potentially fight against the sense of belonging that is creating that sense of ownership and community. So it'd be interesting to see five years down the road exactly what happens to this. I think it's a good idea nonetheless. It's a better idea. It's, it's better than nothing for sure. And I'd love to see what kind of programs they have in place to help these people transition out of the modular housing into something more permanent. This is where I strongly believe in teaching entrepreneurial skills. Man, a lot of these, a lot of homeless people would latch on to entrepreneurial stuff so quickly, stop trying to fit them into the system. Gosh, they don't fit the system. That's why, that's probably why they're homeless in the first place. Something about who they are just does not fit the system. So stop trying to slot them into the system. Let's provide programs that lean on their strengths and their personality strengths. And I'm willing to bet 90% of the time is probably they're probably more entrepreneurial than anything else. Skill up, help them skill up for sure. But then turn them loose, show them how to make money and turn them loose. And I think we'd have some of the most identifiable brands in 10 years. Yeah, I feel strongly about that, actually. I didn't realize that until now. I think it's super important to give these people the ability to make their own money and not just slot, not just fall into the system. I don't mind the system, but I'm willing to bet that the majority of these people just, either the system hasn't benefited them, or it actually hurt them, or they just don't, there's a part of who they are that just doesn't fit and will constantly rebuff the system. And so we need to stop trying to fit them in and start giving them tools that will allow them to grow independently.
that allow their unique personality traits to make them money, honestly. Because that's what they would be good at. And that's what would give them sustained uh, sustainability. That's what would give them the ability to be self-reliant, find permanent housing solutions, find, you know, reliable income. Get them in communities that encourage that kind of thing. Get these people into communities that encourage the entrepreneurial spirit, that encourage uniqueness, and encourage them to make money. Find their unique personality traits and gifts and talents, or, or find skills that they enjoy doing that they can turn into a, a money-making hobby that, that they can then in turn teach others to do and teach them how to make money and actually start to build a business. So this is why I'm really big on the wealth hacker thing. It's not just about there there are so many ways to hack the traditional routes to, to wealth. And the system, especially in Canada, is so big and strong and loud. And it is so suspicious of, of else, of other. But there are people out there who built their lives up from nothing and built something for themselves, for others, for their family. And now they have widely recognizable brands. These are wealth hackers. These are people who have learned how to make money and then invest their money and can and build wealth that lasts for generations. You know, I want to meet these people. I want to I want to connect with these people, become friends with with more of these kinds of people. I want more wealth hackers in my circle. That's why I, that's why I'm going to the wealth hacker conference. That's why I bought my ticket. I mean, sure, I get to see Grant Cardone. That'll be cool. No doubt about it. I get to learn um, from a lot of other people who are doing some pretty unique things that'll be speaking on stage. That's cool. Even more importantly, get to connect with other wealth hackers who are doing things in their own right, in their own space, creating something completely unique. And, they, and they're just every everyday people like us, ordinary people like us. You know, I want to get connected with these people. Because it's that kind of community that spurs success. Like sustainable success. Rather than just reliance on a system that we have no control over. So, if you'd like to go, uh, if you'd like to check out some more information, or if you, um, you want to buy your ticket to the Wealth Hacker Conference, it's just wealthhacker.ca. It's November 9th in Toronto wealthhacker.ca pick your ticket there'll be three levels enter the promo code real wealth and you'll get 10% off your ticket so wealthhacker.ca pick your ticket enter promo code real wealth all one word uh, if you want when you buy your ticket let me know 
uh, email me, recoffee at joelarndt.ca. So that's recoffee at j-o-e-l-a-r-n-d-t dot c-a. And let's meet up. I'd like to meet as many people and connect with as many people as possible at the conference. And especially if you're listening and there's already a bit of a community building here with real estate and coffee. So let's actually put some faces to, uh, to that community. It's Tuesday. Have a good one.